Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911 on Virtual Most Powerful Radio. I am Ruben Nava. Today we have a special guest with us, and uh, looks like uh, Eddie Chavez is going to be joining us today. Jesse is, is uh, out of town, and I'm so happy and, and pleased to have my old partner back. This is, um, you can't see him yet, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get him his, his picture up. Um, Eddie, good morning. Are you with us? Oh, okay. He's, he's, he's coming on. So I just want to tell you that, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that you just want to be around retired sergeant from the California highway patrol. Jenny, Eddie's just a, um, you know, wealth of knowledge and, and love. And you, you're just one of those, those persons that, uh, you know, that he genuinely cares about you when you're talking to him. And like I said, one of those guys you want to be around and, 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 uh, I know that, uh, you're going to glean some things from him today, and uh, we're going to be able to go over some things. Uh, he actually uh, brought this first subject to my attention uh, about the elf on the shelf. Some of you you parents might know what that's all about. So we're going to talk on the first segment about um, what the elf on the shelf is, but what is is there the demonic, demonic origins of the elf on the shelf? Okay, so... Uh, and then uh, later on, we're going to talk about the Immaculate Conception. We we celebrated that feast on the 8th last week, but uh, didn't get a chance to speak on it. And I want you to be able to explain it to your non-Catholic friends and, and maybe family members who are Catholic who don't even know why. How could it be that someone is free of original sin? How How is that that Mary was born uh, immaculate, you know, before Jesus even uh you know, his, his, his death on the cross and his resurrection. So hopefully we'll give you some, some good ammunition so that you can arm your yourself and, uh, and then enlighten others with it. I see Eddie now. Good morning, Eddie. Hey, good morning, Ruben. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. It's good to be back here to, uh, with you guys today. It's, well, it's good to have you. I'm so, so uh, happy, pleased to, that you accepted the invitation to be on the show. I know that some of our members are going to be. A lot of our members are going to be happy to see you, and and then those who have we've members on the sh- audience that have we've accumulated since you've been gone, um, they may not know you, so they're going to get a chance to to get to know you today. Uh, yeah, uh, what just maybe in a couple uh, sentences tell tell us what you've been up to, Eddie, and uh, so that you know people can catch up with you. Yeah, you know, Ruben, uh, I've had some health issues. I mean, that's the reality of it. And uh, uh, matter of fact, the last time I was with uh, uh, in a, participating in a men's conference uh, there at the chapel, um, uh, I had another event. I had a uh, what's called a TIA. It's a, a stroke that I'm going to be prone to. and uh, But the stroke was, uh, there was no lasting effects with the stroke. Uh, but at that time, I, I have to apologize to the men I was talking to outside the chapel because uh, I couldn't formulate a thought. And thanks, thanks be to God, my wife was with me that day and uh, got me to the hospital and everything was okay. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's just the age. Uh, uh, you know, we're not young men anymore. I think we can all agree to that. And uh, yep. uh, that's that's what's happened. But but I've been uh, uh, helping uh, 
actually running a, a confirmation class. And so uh, up here in the valley, so I'm still uh, doing it uh, as, as they say. And uh, but I'm happy to be here and uh, maybe we can get on a little bit more often now. Oh, that sounds good, Eddie. I'd love to have you. Um, so you brought this first topic to my attention about the elf on the shelf. Uh, I, I had uh, no idea. I've seen the elf on the shelf, but never really paid much of attention to it. So I'm just going to tell uh, the audience what that is, and then we're going to talk about the demonic origins of that elf. And, uh, you know, it's it's a doll. Basically, the elf on the shelf is a doll and a book combo that you can find in almost uh, every store. Uh, you buy the elf, give it a name, place it on the, on the shelf. The children are never to touch it as touching it removes the magic that allows the elf to return to Santa every night and give a report on their behavior. And, and the elf is known to, to pull pranks, um, to do silly things when, when returning from Santa. So some parents love to love it because they, all they have to say is he behaved, the elf is watching and the children are suddenly good. Right. But, and to me, the character has like sinister connotations. It's really, uh, you know, naughty slash nice informant to Santa, you know, operating, much like a like a secret police officer in in uh, in some far off totalitarian land, you know, and parents perch this little monster about their house, and, and you know, and they try to they get uh, conformity to with their kids. But uh, is that uh, is that your understanding of of what the elf on the shelf is? Yeah, Ruben, that's that's exactly what it is, and I mean, you know, this this it's a new tradition apparently uh, mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, that, that just came about in 2007, I believe. Uh, but it is, it, it has its origins in this demonic story. Uh, and, and there are some things going on with it that uh, uh, are kind of nefarious. And I wanted to bring that up because it's, it's apparently becoming very popular right now, the, um, the elf on the shelf. And, and what it's done is it's, it's, um, it's kind of lightened it up from what it used to be to this, uh, you know, harmless elf on the shelf. And so uh, what's happened is uh, now this elf on the shelf, like you said, has um, uh, some, some things about it that, that seem harmless. The parents kind of uh, feed into this by, uh, by having kids think that by um, being nice instead of naughty, that they are, uh, they have some, um, some things going on with it. For example, uh, one of the things is that uh, this elf on the shelf really kind of spies on the kids. Uh, uh, I was I was telling my uh, my uh, son and daughter-in-law that yeah, I mean this this uh, elf on the shelf is a rat because he <laughs> he spies on the kids. Yeah, and uh, then then uh, you know claims to take it back to uh, to Santa. But the idea that these kids are being good with uh, uh, kind of a a negative thing they're being good so they could actually get receive gifts and so um that's that's the thing that i'm a little concerned with is that uh little by little we're losing the the saint nicholas uh kind of uh, uh connection with santa claus uh, as it is catholics don't even know that very well but um uh, now we're losing it even a little further so uh it's becoming kind of uh, kind of evil in it's in it's uh and that's what that's how I described it to my daughter-in-law, and she her eyes opened up, and and uh, it was one of those things. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, that's that's essentially what it is, uh, 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 Ruben, and and that's that's why I think that uh, 
you know, we have to be careful with these new traditions, even though they seem harmless, uh, they really are not. Right. Uh, as Eddie, uh, Dave, there's a, a PhD by the name of David Kyle Johnson. He also wrote about, uh, wrote against Santa Claus and he lists four objections to the elf. He says, uh, you know, first of all, it's a lie. Uh, it threatens your parental trust, uh, worthiness, and it, it encourages credulity. Credulity is just a tendency to be too, too ready to believe that something is real or true. And then the fourth objection he has is that, uh, to all this Christmas line, he says an objection to something that can be present in the Santa Claus lie as well, but in the main purpose of, of the elf on the shelf lie goading your children into behaving with a promise of future lavish reward. So, um, you know, I I don't think I want to raise my kids thinking that if you act a certain way, you get good things. And the reason for obedience isn't directly related to what you get. Um, uh, but I don't want, you know, my, my children to be entitled and start to think that, uh, I did this and this and this, so I get that, you know, and this is, uh, this is the, what the Pharisees of Jesus' time believed. You know, we can, we can never work ourselves into eternal life. We accept the gift uh, God gave us, and, um, you know, we go, we go from there. And, and Christ is enough, actually. Christ is enough. And the story of the, the nativity and Christ and, and Jesus, Mary, and Joseph uh, in Bethlehem, that should be sufficient. And really, um, the world has taken us away from the real meaning of Christmas, you know, and we get so caught up in the world. Uh, but, um, yeah, that, that's, that's my take on it. But, uh, let's talk a little bit about Krampus. Um, what have you, what, what, what did you, uh, you glean from, we, we're talking about an article, uh, by Don Baines. It's called the Krampus box. It's, it's the demonic origins of the, sh- of the, uh, elf on the shelf. You, you have that article, Jess? I mean, Eddie. Yeah. You know what I, I did, but this is, this is the thing, uh, Ruben with this box, uh-huh. This box was meant to hold, and 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 uh, the the author of the article kind of does his own take on it because there's no really there's no boxes left. Uh, this was I think an 1800 uh, story of folklore that, that that came to be, and uh, he so he kind of went by the descriptions of the box. And what they did is they he made a box. He wrote he, he uh, put a, a demon on the box, mm-hmm. and in the box was supposed to go. Uh, pictures or names written down names of uh, of some of, of kids that were naughty and so they went into the box and the only thing the only time that it could be removed from that box is uh, uh, during the day uh, and the kid is supposed to have acted better uh, and and so you know there is there is this this issue like you were saying uh, you know the only way that the kids could get gifts were from uh, uh, you know, uh, acting better, mm. and then during the day, uh, the parents could remove the uh, the pictures, uh, and, and and the whole thing about this Krampus, because I had never heard of it, uh, Ruben, until you mentioned it. Um, the Krampus was was uh, this whole this whole folklore thing. Uh, it was just made up, but it has some uh, connections to reality, and that was my concern with yeah. it. Um, you know, that's, that's the, I think that's what we're talking about is. All right, Eddie, hold that thought. We're coming up on a break. We'll be right okay. back. And we'll finish up this article on the other side of the break. Right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back. Fear has two meanings, forget everything and run or face everything and rise. The choice is yours, ladies and gentlemen. Fight or flight, we always fight. Right, Eddie? That's it. That's it. You got to fight for the gospel. That's right. Uh, so, Eddie, uh, we were on the other side of the break. We're talking about Crumpus uh, and this box that uh, it's like some folklore, like you said, uh, goes way back. And the, the idea was very simple. During the, the buildup to St. Nicholas Day on December 6th, uh, and for those of you who don't know, St. Nicholas was a, a bishop, and, you know, he, he's actually known for socking up somebody at the— uh, at one of the councils, you know, uh, another, I think he was Arius. He socked up, right? <laughs> so yes. he's, he's a, he's a hero of mine and, uh, he had a good, uh, right cross man. And so, uh, and this, on this particular, in this instance with this, uh, this Krumpus thing, uh, the box would be placed on the fireplace next to the stocking. If a child was naughty, they would have their, their name written on it or a photograph placed inside the box. And, and like you said, you know, uh, they can only remove the name and the picture if uh, if during the day. So at night, uh, they w- they weren't allowed to open it. It was they couldn't open it. Um, so so sometimes in Europe, the next sunrise could be days. So once you were in the box, there was no telling when you would get out. And if you were unfortunate to still be in the box by December fifth, also known as Krampusnacht. That's it. This is in in Germany. So. Krampusnacht, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, you would be punished and the Krampus would come for you. So during Krampusnacht, the Krampus would visit each home and look in each box to see if any photographs or names had been left. And if there was, if there was, he would snatch the named naughty child as they slept and drag them to hell in his sack. So as you can imagine, the box was so effective that there was never any need to place anything inside it. It's, it's an ingenious idea and much more palatable than having a grin, a grinning pink plastic elf checking you up on you every day. So Emma, the, uh, could you imagine the kids just living in fear that they're going to hell? Uh, um, it's, I, I it's a bit much, uh, to, yeah, I think, know. I think you're right. But I, I think this is a little bit too much for kids. Uh, I think what, what this, uh, tradition which is that's what's being called now mm. uh because now we have the elf on the shelf but the uh the tradition uh is kind of takes a lot of work on the parents part to, to get the kid to believe the, some of the things that that he's required to believe with this uh and and i i think what it does is it it, it mixes reality which which we're talking about temptation here for the kid to be naughty uh and uh, uh and, and legends. So I think that's the danger, uh, Ruben, is that uh, the kid is uh, half in reality, half in 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 uh, folklore, uh, and 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 uh, I think that's the danger in it. And being dragged to hell, uh, I mean, you know, we've got to get back to what Santa Claus is really all about—about about, uh, you know, sacrifice and 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 giving gifts of of sacrifice, not gifts uh, of stuff but just of sacrifice for the family. Uh, and I think that's what we need to get to. But now things are becoming more and more uh, palatable. They're becoming more and more uh, people that are gullible will, will yeah. eat this thing up. And I think it's, it's, it's become even bigger 
Uh, you can Google it, and uh, like like we talked about yesterday, uh, Ruben, you can uh, find out where to go buy a little off on the shelf and how to do the whole uh, the whole process. So I think, yeah, it's it's a bit much, and uh, uh, it's something that uh, the kids probably should not be done. At least in my house, it wouldn't have been done when the kids were small. That's for sure. That's right. That's right. So. Hey, I think we beat that one up enough. Let's uh, let's talk about the Immaculate Conception. Uh, it's such an important day, Holy Day of Obligation. We celebrated last uh, Wednesday, uh, December eighth, and uh, so what we're going to do is talk a little bit about how to explain the Immaculate Conception to our family and friends, those who maybe non-Catholics who think that we just put so much, oh, so much. What's all the fuss about Mary? Uh, I'm sure you know in your in your walk uh, of faith. You've had to talk and explain the Blessed Mother to so many people, and they just they just don't know the power we have in Our Lady. Uh, so the goal here is just to make you see how sacred and holy the the Blessed Virgin Mary truly is. So uh, you can appreciate her more fully, and then increase your devotion to her. So ultimately, she can lead you to a deeper relationship uh, with her Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So. Let's get into this, Eddie. Do you want to start start it off? <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's kind of funny, uh, Ruben, because last night my uh, my confirmation class, uh, uh, Mary, came up. And and I, I began to prepare them from, from, from now. You know, I'm not sure how you were, but when I was, you know, 15 or 17, uh, I, I didn't uh, understand Mary like I do now. But I think, uh, you know, our, our, our game should be, a, a little higher than it was before because they're asking about Mary. So that's a good thing. And I, I wanted to prepare them for something that uh, 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 they might encounter, which they, well, they will encounter because, you know, there's there's three three views of, of God when you bring up God, you know, at that age. You, you're talking about uh, uh, pantheistic view, deism, and then the biblical view. We talked about that. But to prepare them to be able to explain uh, the, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Immaculate Conception, um, I think it's very important to get it done at an early age, and, and that one's out of the way. You know, they know how to, how to, how to defend her, and, and, and they can go on to the next thing that they're going to encounter in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so some people just, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Immaculate Conception, the it's not to be confused with the virgin birth. A lot of people, uh, even Catholics, yes. are are not aware well, that they th sometimes think the Immaculate Conception is Jesus. Well, no, that's that's the virgin right. birth. So um, the two events are linked, um, but they're not one and the same. So, so what does the Catholic Church teach on this dogma? Well, we know that back in in the Book of Exodus, uh, Moses, when he first saw God in the burning bush. There's uh, such a thing as, as holy ground. And so God told Moses to, to take off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground where God himself was present on earth. And uh, we know today that Israel and Jerusalem are known as the Holy Land because the fact that Jesus walked there. And I was privileged enough to have uh, visited uh, the Holy Land in uh, 2018 with a big church group. And it was an amazing trip. Uh, I tell people that, um, you know, my rosary really came alive after visiting that because I can visualize these places where Jesus stood and, and, and taught. And I was there on the sea of Galilee where, you know, he told Peter to lower the, uh, the nets and, and, um, 
and then he cooked breakfast for him, you know, where, where Peter denied him, you know, um, or no, where, where Jesus rehabilitated him, I should say. And also where Peter denied him. So, um, so uh, anyway, we know that the Ark of the Covenant, right, it was considered the very holy by the Jews because it it it, uh, it contained the Word of God, the Holy of Holies. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was uh, was originally placed in Solomon's temple, so it was it was so holy that only the Jewish high priests could uh, could go in there once a year on the on the Day of Atonement, um, and they would tie a, a rope around his foot the leg so that when he went in, if he was in sin and he dropped dead, uh, they could pull him back out, you know? Anyway. Really, that's that's where we currently get the bells at mass. We get the bells at mass in in, in remembrance of of that Old Testament kind of uh, understanding of, of the, 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 you know, it's so holy that they, uh, they could know, they couldn't even go in there. Even if the priest uh, passed away, they had to drag him out. So yeah, that's where we get the bells now. That's a, that's a good point. I, I never thought yes. of that. Yeah. So while the desert, um, well, if the desert uh, where God was walked was holy ground, how much more holy would Mary, Mary's womb be? You know, where she carried Jesus for nine months and while she was pregnant. So if the Ark of the Covenant uh, was pure and holy because it contained the Word of God, remember what it, it contained the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. Um, it had uh, uh, the the Aaron's rod that budded, and it had manna, which was a prefigurement of the Eucharist. The Eucharist. All yeah. that was in in the uh, holy in inside the Ark of the Covenant. So, so we have Mary, who is the Word made flesh. You know, He is the you know He's pure, He's holy indeed. So, because of that fact, uh, you know, Mary has to be holy. In fact, you know, in um, in the book of Luke, the Gabriel refers to Mary as full of grace, and um, you know the that was Saint Jerome that uh, that translated to full of grace. You know, it's uh, in Luke one twenty eight. So before the incarnation took place, you know one one cannot be full of grace and have any sin. Basically, Romans six fourteen, six fourteen Romans six fourteen says, "For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under." the law but under grace so um by that fact alone mary had to be free of original sin in her soul and sh- and she was not full of grace because she had jesus inside of her she was chosen to be the mother of jesus because she because she was full of grace already you know and gabriel told her the lord is with you before she became pregnant with the holy ghost so that's a that's a a, a good distinction to make Sure, sure. And you know, you know, uh, Ruben, one of the things that I think about when I think about the Immaculate Conception is, is how, how beautiful Mary is. And she had to be the way she is. She had to be uh, 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 immaculate uh, because her job, one of her jobs, I should say, was to be the, the opposite of sin. So she is the opposite of sin. So the, uh, the one who said, I will not serve, is the opposite of her who said, "Let it be done to me according to Thy word," and and you know, Reuben, she has this this job, which is to uh, crush the head of the of the serpent, and and uh, you know that happens a lot with uh, uh, during, for example, exorcisms or or uh, uh, other encounters with the devil that a priest might have. But uh, also, we have to remember that uh, 
uh, uh, that's one of her her primary functions. She was she was going to be the opposite of sin, and and so we have to remember that whenever we invoke uh, uh, Mary as the, as the Immaculate Conception, we are invoking her who is uh, the most powerful uh, creature uh, against the devil. Absolutely, and and for those of you who don't know or aware that. The dogma was officially declared by the church in 1854. Um, it was believed by the early church fathers early on, as well as the first Protestant, Martin Luther. So those uh, those Protestants don't even know that Martin Luther had a, a high reverence for Mary. Um, the, uh, the observance uh, of the feast began with a papal encyclical uh, by Pope Pius IX when he formally defined the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And that uh, encyclical was... In F in F Bali, I'm, I'm I'm messing this up. In Fabilis Deus, on December eighth, eighteen fifty four, and then several years later in eighteen fifty eight, and what's when the Blessed Mother appeared uh, to Saint Bernadette at Lourdes and gave her that said to her, "I am the Immaculate Conception." And if you remember, Saint uh, Bernadette had no knowledge of what the Immaculate Conception was, so that was right. that was proof that to the bishop that this she wasn't making this up. That she really could right. speak to Mary. So we'll pick this up on the other side of the break. We're talking about the Immaculate Conception. Jesus nine one one. Be right back. Don't change that dial. Now back to Jesus nine one one. If this call is not an emergency. Dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, if you're not saving souls for Christ, you're not living. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. I love that quote. So, Eddie, we're talking about the Immaculate Conception. Obviously, we, we don't have um, all the time to get into every aspect of it, but um, let's. we're going to try to hit on some points that uh, that we Catholics need to know and uh I came up with some stuff that I heard years ago from um, uh, a theologian by the name of Gary uh, uh, Jerry Matitix. He was the right hand man of uh, Scott Hahn back in the day. He actually uh, Scott was uh, Scott Hahn refers to him as the the smartest person in the class. So he had some good takeaways. So uh, before I get into that, do you what was that? Did you have any thoughts on the uh, uh, from the other side of the break that you want to bring forward? No, Ruben, I'm, you know, my mind's just going uh, crazy with all the things about we, that we could mention about the Immaculate Conception. You know, primarily, because I, I like to go back to basics, mm -hmm. we have to understand, like you mentioned already, uh, Ruben, that the Immaculate Conception is not the same as, as the birth of Christ. Because when you say Immaculate Conception, that's the first thing that a lot of people's mind go to. I remember uh, I got a free lunch off of this because I, uh, a lieutenant of mine was... Uh, uh, raised in a Catholic uh, boarding home, boarding home, I guess it was, and uh, he said he knew everything about Catholicism, and and I got him with this one question, uh, <laughs> you know, the Immaculate Conception. So uh, I think that we have to understand that the birth of Jesus was uh, uh, was one thing, uh, and the Immaculate Conception refers to Mary when she was immaculately conceived in Saint Anne's womb. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. That's right, and. So we uh, you know, we have to know remember that uh, you know in uh, God redeemed the world through an immaculately, immaculately conceived virgin uh, and uh, without sin in order to overcome uh, the condemnation of the world through an immaculately created virgin Eve who did sin. 
So Paul and Paul calls St. Paul calls Jesus the new Adam in 1 Corinthians 15:45, which would make Mary the new Eve, just as Adam and Eve were created without sin and failed their test. So just Jesus and Mary were created without sin, but they passed their test. And uh, so when you talk about the Immaculate Conception, I think um, the, the two titles, one of them, the other being the Ark of the Covenant. Well, she has many titles, but those two, I think, are 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 very much linked. And I believe um, the two depictions of Our Lady are joined, and one can't really speak uh, one without mentioning the other. So there's a thing in uh, called typology that uh, you know a lot of uh, apologists uh, use, and it's it's a study of the Old Testament types and the New Testament fulfillments. So a type is just a person, place, or thing, or event in the Old Testament that foreshadows something more glorious in the New Testament, i.e., let's say, Adam is a type of Jesus, Moses is a type of Jesus, David is a type of Jesus, Joshua is a type of Jesus, the the Passover lamb that was slain is a type of Jesus, and the manna in the wilderness is a type of the Eucharist, you know, so I like to to tell my friends that they need to read Scripture uh, the New Testament in light of the old. And um, so according to a Christian uh, tradition, you know, Mary is in fact, the, it, she was Christian before Christ, right? She was a Christian before Christ because uh, Jesus saves her from the moment of her conception. And uh, so she's the first specimen of this new humanity that uh, is made possible by his death and resurrection. And, um, and so you might be saying, how can he do that? How can Christ uh, save her from the moment of her conception? Because he was the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, as uh, St. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and Revelation 13. So she's the first, she's the new creation. The first creation was made sinless and perfectly good. So God looks at the cosmos and he loves it. He's in love with it. He's, He's attracted to it. He embraces it. And then Mary comes as the new cosmos, the new creation, and God loves and delights in her. And he makes her perfect so well that he can take delight in her and, uh, he, and not look at her and say, she's, she's good except for sin. Uh, so there, there's no detachment between God and Mary any more than there, there was between God and the first creation. So there's nothing in her to cause God to shrink back. And or distance himself from Mary, and so when we move to uh, in, in Genesis two, uh, two seven, we read that God created man from the dust of the ground, and then He breathed into his nostrils, and man became a living soul or a living being. So He created man from the dust of the ground. And the Hebrew word for 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 ground, it's a feminine noun called adama, and the ground is spoken of in like feminine terms or maternal terms. You know, Adama. That's why the the man is called Adam because Adam means the son of Adama, and it's the same word in in a shortened mas- masculinized form. So, uh, if you remember uh, your Old Testament, Job in chapter one, verse thirty one, speaking as he was suffering, says he he's suffering. Says, "Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there." Because blessed be the name of the Lord. So, notice how Job refers to his death as return to his mother's womb. Now. We don't mean that he's literally going to crawl into his, his mother's womb, but he goes into the earth, which give, gives birth to Adam and is ultimately the mother of us all. So it's, and, and, and only in that way can we really um, understand our uh, original sin. Uh, that's our common lot and legacy. 
And that's how it could, one way it could be explained, right? And uh, But St. Yeah. Paul says, right, in Romans 8.22, that the earth groans as a woman in pangs of childbirth, waiting to give birth to the sons and daughters of God in their resurrection. So Paul says, in essence, we return to the womb of the earth, and the resurrection will be a rebirth from the barren womb of the tomb. So Christ was the firstborn of the new resurrection. Christ is the head. The head is crowning and the body will follow. So the whole birth is taking 2,000 years, and we fastened organically to Christ. He's the head, the mystical body. will follow him in this birth experience. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, Ruben, you know, I remember being taught early on, and this might be a good way for some of the listeners to, to uh, uh, explain this, but uh, the question about how, how did uh, God help uh, uh, prevent Mary uh, from a sin. So you can picture everybody in humanity walking in a, in a line and everybody steps into this mud pile, this quicksand, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and God pulls them out of that. With their, with their baptism, God pulls them out of that. As Mary comes to this line 2,000 years ago uh, to be born, he stops her, helps her go around that that pit of sin. And that's how he essentially uh, keeps her immaculate, keeps her conceived in the way that uh, he knew she would accept and that uh, was going to happen uh, pretty quickly there, there thereafter. So, um, you know, there, there's, you know, there's this, this very uh, uh, powerful way that you explain it, uh, this rebirth going on in the church. Um, and, and it's going to continue that way till the end of time. But uh, there's also a simple way. Uh, so any any way we can communicate this to our children uh, to make it, uh, you know, whatever age uh, they happen to be, uh, this is the way we need to do it. Do it consistently, and that's how we raise um, faithful Catholics. Yeah, I like that. I like that analogy. Uh, so Jesus saves her before she gets dirty. We're all yeah. of us. We have to go through that mud, and uh, yeah, we we're, then we're washed clean through our baptism. So that's a more perfect save, right? He still saves us. He saves exactly. her, but her more perfectly. So um, I, I I saw this this uh, this explanation, and I thought it was marvelous. So I'm going to explain it here. So it's like you you, you draw a sketch, and um, you draw a dot from A to B. So A is above B, and A will be Adam. The dot B will be the Earth. So let's draw a line from B to A. That re- represents the mother-son relationship. The earth gives birth to, to Adam in Genesis 2-7. Uh, so he, it's the mother of Adam, the earth. To, and then to the right, draw a dot C, which is Christ. That's across from A. And uh, draw a line from A to C, which represents the relationship of type to anti-type. That is foreshadowing to fulfillment. Adam is a type of Christ. So A to C across the top line. Draw that line, right? And then Adam's the type of Christ, uh, as St. Paul says in Romans 5.14. Adam is a figure of him who was to come. There are other passages that say the same thing. Now, did Christ have a mother? Of course he did. He did, and, and that was Mary. So you put a dot D below C and across from B on the bottom. Now, we'll draw a line from D to C, which is the relationship from mother to son. So you have three lines of a triangle. Right. And if you remember geometry, right. Uh, so the only thing that's missing is the fourth line. 
the line B to A is equivalent to line D to C. It's the relationship of mother to son. That means that you draw the fourth line at the bottom to complete the diagram. That means that line A to C from Adam to Christ is equivalent to B to D on the bottom. From the earth that gave birth to Adam to Mary, which gave birth to Jesus. So you're, you're saying, what does this all mean? Well, it, it means simply this. Adam is a type of, the, of Christ, and the earth which gave birth to Adam is a type of Mary. I'll ask you this question. Was, what was the condition or the quality of that earth that gave birth to Adam? It was sinless. It was spotless, right? The earth, it was uncursed. It was unfallen. Um, Perfect harmony. Yeah. So if the first Adam had the privilege of being birthed from an uncursed, unfallen, undefiled mother, then for scriptural logic and scriptural justice to hold true and for the parallel to be proper, then Jesus the second Adam would have to enjoy this, the exact same privilege. His mother would also have to have no curse, no fall, no blemish, uh, no defilement, no pollution to be upon her whatsoever. So she's she's not tainted with original sin. And uh, so in the, uh, the Immaculate Conception, Genesis chapter 2, when God, where God creates Eve from the side of Adam, what, what type of woman is Eve? She's sinless, right? She's, she, the fall doesn't occur till the next chapter. And so if God could create a sinless man and a sinless woman at the beginning of the human race, at the beginning of the old covenant, then he can certainly create a sinless man and a sinless woman at the beginning of the new covenant. And so he does. Jesus is the second Adam. Mary is the, is the second Eve. Uh, well, this, the one last point I'm going to make, and we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. We're talking about Jesus 911. We're talking about Immaculate Conception on Jesus 911. You're right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, two-man car. I have my old partner back, uh, Eddie Chavez. He's filling in for Jesse Romero, who is out of town. He's uh, actually he's flying back to his home after giving a, uh, a retreat back in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. So... Jesse's always on the go, boy. He's 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 out there, he's fighting the good fight, and uh, glad to have uh, you and him in my life. Thank you so much, Eddie, for appearing today. And I'm, you know, the comments are blowing up here on uh, on Facebook. The uh, on the chat, uh, people are saying, oh, "Great to see Eddie back, boy." I was wondering what happened to him, and all these people who love you, Eddie. So you, it's uh, good. You know the way it works, Ruben. They pray for me, and I pray for them. That's right, man. That's good. So just finishing up on this, the Immaculate Conception. Um, so some people might say, well, that doesn't exactly work, the explanation I just gave you, because Adam was the source of Eve and Mary, the second Eve, was the source of Jesus, the second Adam. So exactly, uh, far from being a reversal that perplexes you, it should be a re reversal that's necessary. Since the new covenant reverses the effect of of the fall, the second Eve must precede the second Adam and everything's working backwards. We're turning the clock backward and, and bringing, bringing us to that pristine relationship with God before the fall. The second Eve comes first and from, from her comes the second Adam and from him comes redemption that you and I and our beneficiaries and recipients of today. And, uh, 
I think the final point I'll make is that Jesus, in Genesis 3, uh, chapter 3, um, where God speaks to the serpent, and he says, John, Genesis 3.15, that all Catholics should know this verse, I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed, and she shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. So in, and when Jesus refers to Mary in the, in the New Testament, uh, as at the wedding feast of Cana, he's always calling her woman, right? And so uh, any good J- Jewish mother was always praying that their, that their daughter would be that, that woman of Genesis 3.15, uh, the one who was going to give birth to the Messiah. And so he's, rather than it being a, a put-down uh, condemnation by calling her woman, because I, I would have been slapped upside the head, Eddie, by my mom if, if I'd have called her woman. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's true. Yeah. And I, I would have got a cachetada that she, she would have just put me in my place. But, but you know, the, the reality movement is that, is that Jesus refers to her as woman from the cross. Yes. His yeah. most, his most, the point, the most poignant moment that he has. Yeah. Tell he me about refers to her as woman. Yes. What does he say? He, he says that to, uh, to John. What does he say? You remember that? Um, he said, you know, he says, uh, um, mother, behold thy son, son, behold thy woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. So he's again referring to her. It's, it's so that those Jewish ears can, are hearkening back to Genesis 3.15. Oh, this is the woman that, he, that he's talking about, that God was talking about in, in, the, in the book of Genesis. So uh, when the woman, the woman must have to be complete opposition to the devil. It says, I will put enmities between you and the woman, which is complete and total separation enmities right uh so if a woman sins she's 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 she um in total opposition to the devil no she she's an alliance with the devil anytime we sin we're in alliance with the devil now if in genesis 3 15 uh, it envisions someone who will be perfectly fulfill the prophecy and if mary is this woman whose seed is christ then mary must have been in total opposition to the devil from the word go and yet another indicator that the mother of the Messiah would have to be sinless. So that's just a few things that uh, there's a whole lot of things we could have said. There's a lot of verses in, in Scripture that refer uh, back to this topic. And, um, you know, the chapter uh, the Gospel of Luke is really uh, good on, on bringing some of this, this imagery out and um, and you know what, Ruben, I'll tell you, you did, you did a masterful job explaining that. Now, now, some a simple mind like mine uh, will, will have to go back and play the show over again and, <laughs> and, and, and draw the lines properly and make sure it's all done. But no, you did a masterful job there. It's, and, it, and it makes perfect sense when, when you consider that uh, how, how the, you know, the, 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 the history of salvation, how that plays itself out. That's beautiful. Yeah. Now, let, let's talk about a subject that it's, it's referring to, to December 8th, but um, it's something that not many people know about. It's called the Hour of Grace. And um, it's, uh, do, do you have the, the history? Do you want to tell everybody what the, where the history comes from on, on that, Eddie? Uh, yeah, you know what, Ruben, why don't you go ahead? Because I, uh, I, I think you're probably better suited for this part of it, yeah. Oh, okay. No, no worries. I, it's... Uh, it's just during the period of November 24th, 1946 to December 8th, 1947, the Blessed Mother, he appeared to Sister Pierina in the little church of Monchichiari, Italy, 11 times. So it's a private revelation. On last Thursday's show, we talked about private revelation. 
Uh, on the first appearance, the Blessed Mother told Sister Pierina she wanted to be known as the Mystical Rose and that an hour of grace should be kept at noon, December 8th, in all the Catholic churches of the world. The Blessed Mother wanted this to be known through all Italy and the entire world. So, uh, you know, it was in November 16th, 1947, the sister was finishing up her Thanksgiving after Holy Communion when she saw a great light. She saw a vision of the Blessed Mother as the mystical rose. And sister was so deeply moved by the stunning beauty of Our Lady that she began talking to her. And all of a sudden, a gentle force made her kneel down in front of Our Lady And the Blessed Mother spoke these words, My son is so greatly offended by the sins of impurity. He is already planning to send the deluge upon the people for their destruction, but I have asked him to show mercy and not to send the destruction. So that is why I have appeared to ask for penance and atonement for the sins of impurity. It's, you know, that what she's saying here, um, Eddie, is, is quite similar to what she said at La Salette and, you know, Fatima, it's the same message, you know, that we gotta we gotta do uh, reparation for sin and and do penance. And uh, so then later on, on the twenty second of November, sister felt that overwhelming urge to go to church at four o'clock, and, and the mother superior, four sisters, and a group of friends accompanied her. They were there saying the rosary when the Blessed Mother appeared as before. And again, Our Lady asked for penance. She said, uh, "Penance is nothing more than accepting all our crosses daily, willingly." No matter how small, accept them with love. At this time, she told Sister Pirina to come again on December 8th at noon. This will be the hour of grace. The sister asked how she was to prepare for this hour of grace to which the Blessed Mother said with prayers and penance. So there's a a list of prayers that can be said during this hour of grace. And you pray the the 51st Psalm with outstretched arms three times. Uh, So during the hour of grace, many spiritual graces would be granted the most Hard-hearted sinners would be touched by the grace of God. And the Blessed Mother, she promised that whatever a person asked for during this time, this hour of grace, even the impossible cases would be granted to them if it was in accordance with the will of the Eternal Father, of course. On the morning of December 8th, people began arriving at the little church at 8 o'clock in the morning from neighboring towns. By noon, some 10,000 people had gathered to see the Blessed Mother. And in the most gentle and loving voice, Our Lady smiled and began to speak to Sister Pierina. She said, I am the Immaculate Conception, the mother of my beloved son, Jesus. I want to be known as the mystical rose. And uh, she says, my, my wish is that every year on the 8th of December at noon, an hour of grace will be installed. Many spiritual graces and physical blessings will be received by those who pray undisturbed during this hour. I just thought that was amazing. I and mean, if uh, if if people only knew what could be accomplished in that in that hour that our, our lady is willing to do for us as a loving mother, uh, you know, I know my my mother who you know was was imperfect. All our, our we're all imperfect, but she would do anything for me and my family. And how much more would our spiritual mother do for us, Eddie? You're right, Ruben. You know, it's funny, uh, as you say that, we're, we're cooking tamales, uh, mm-hmm. and we're preparing for, uh, for the holidays. And one of the things that we, we do is we use my mom's uh, recipe to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, what, what, what more would, would, would uh, this perfect woman, uh, the mother of Christ, do for us? That, that, uh, and, and this is 
you know, some of the, the prayers she uh, she talks about uh, is just like to 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 focus, to 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 ponder the the the, the rosary, to to think about you know uh, your relationship with Christ. These are this is the hour of grace, and right now, Ruben, the reality is with the reduction of the sacraments, they're they're being minimized as 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 much as 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 we know it shouldn't be happening, but it is happening in this country. Um, we have to have grace, and this is a beautiful time to catch up with all the grace that we should be getting in our lives. Shut off the phone, go go uh, somewhere, and and do this this beautiful uh, hour of grace because um, it's something that we all need. We all have to we all have to uh, ponder our our relationship with Christ, and this is the perfect time to do it. And so we have to bring back these traditions. You know, we have to make them known to other Catholics who who haven't been. Uh, taught this stuff. This, these are these special traditions, much like you know the first Saturday devotion, the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart. Those things that have kind of in some parishes have gone by the wayside. Um, we need to bring them back because we need that. We need that grace and the power that uh, that our Church gives us through our 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 Lord and Our Lady. And uh, and we're in Advent now. It's uh, we're preparing. You know, making the uh, the path straight as. Uh, you know, St. John the Baptist says, and we have to prepare uh, for the coming of our Lord. You know, um, you know, it, it things are looking bad in, in across the world, not just here in California or, or, you know, in this, in the United States. And so we need, uh, we need to fall back on our faith more than ever. And, uh, you know, yeah, you know, Ruben, one of the things that I reminded the kids about uh, yesterday uh, for confirmation is as Catholics, we are preparing for the, for the coming, the first coming of Jesus, we're we preparing for uh, the, the baby Jesus. Uh, we're, we're we're making all the preparations, but at the same time, we are preparing for the second coming of Jesus to make sure that we are prepared. Our souls are prepared when He comes a second time, and and nobody knows when He's going to come. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to be surprised like a thief in the night. We want to be prepared for Him. And the hour of grace is one of the good ways to do that. Yeah. Eddie, uh, we're coming up on the last minute here. Do you have any last takeaways? I really thank you for being with us today, and hopefully we can do this again. Yeah, I hope so, uh, Ruben. You know, uh, no, thank you for inviting me. It's always a, a pleasure to come on with you guys, uh, and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to do it again. Rich, I want to thank Rich, the, uh, the uh, engineer that helped me uh, get online and stuff. So I think uh, you guys have perfected uh, the way we, uh, we do things here at uh, Jesus 911. So thanks for that. Hey, technology. Yeah, we're just uh, using technology. <laughs> You've been listening to Jesus 911. Thank you for your patronage. If you like the show, share it and um, like it. And uh, stay tuned for Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Mishuda from the Midwest Command Center. We are 10-7. We are EOW. Watch. Signing off. Thank you, Eddie. God bless you. Hey, Ruben. Your faith.